0: To Planet Watch. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman with Big Solutions to Planet Size Problems.
1: And I'm Joe Jordan.
0: Today, something a little different for this Christmas week. We'll be talking with friends and family from far flung places like Norway and the state of Virginia, doing some readings about the old ways of celebrating the season and hearing about the physics of light as we welcome the lengthening of the days. So, Merry Christmas or whatever Kwanzaa holiday you may be celebrating today.
1: Happy winter, and I hope everybody had a great Hanukkah, which I think ended a couple nights ago. And, uh, yeah, actually it's solstice time, you know, and uh, I mentioned some stuff about solstice on our last show, but I forgot to tell everybody, well, what does it mean anyway? Solstice, you know, like solar system, the sun, that's the S-O-L. And part of the reason for that name is that unlike many stars, which are double or multiple stars, our sun, as far as we know, is a single star. So sol, good old sol. So solstice means when the sun stands still. If you go out and notice where the sun sets or the sun rises over the course of time, it moves farther and farther and farther south. And that is independent of whether you're in the northern or the hemisphere, the southern hemisphere. It's going to go farther and farther south until about December 21st when it stands still and turns around and starts coming back north. So. The sun stands still. That's what that means.
0: Or appears to, because we're actually the ones moving.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I forgot about that. We're moving in about seven different ways. And if you're interested in any of that, I'll bend your ear about it sometime.
0: (laughs) I had the great good fortune of seeing a beautiful storytelling show over the last week, uh, Celtic Christmas. And Thomasine Foley, a Mm. fellow from Ireland, told a story about... An ancient stone structure that stands in the center of Ireland Ireland, that they think is over 5,000 years old. And some of the stones couldn't have come from anywhere but 100 miles away and they weigh tons and tons. They don't know how they got there. But the ancients created a structure by which uh, the sun on the exact solstice shines through the long hallway hallway and lights up this bowl. And they don't know exactly what they did there, but um, the fact that they figured out... The exact angle and made it shine in this long hallway is something else. And you have to get lottery tickets, apparently, to go in there on the solstice. because, And it may not be shining because it's often cloudy. (laughs) Like it is here in
1: Santa Cruz today, too, and in Virginia. But in Norway, it was nice. It's night now. It's almost Christmas there, but it was nice today, sunny. But uh, not very much sun up there this time of year. But uh, I believe that place Rachel was describing is called New Grange. And uh, the Mayans had sites like that. And also, but we should save this for summer solstice time, there's this amazing mesa in the southwest, I think it's Chaco Canyon, where there's this sun dagger that right at summer solstice at solar noon, when the sun is due south at its highest point for the day, a dagger of light uh, between two stones that are shading the edge of this rock wall comes down and spears a carved spiral that the people there you know, a thousand years ago carved into the rock. And that is an amazing, wonderful science and art thing that kind of makes you proud to be a human being that our ancestors are among people who did stuff like that.
0: (laughs) And, and, you know, I think solstice was very important to people because you never really knew whether the sun would come back. (laughs) You know, your entire existence was dependent on growing your own food. um, Then you really cared that and thanked everything in you, including whatever pagan gods you prayed to that the sun would come back every year and light the world so that you could grow your next year's crop of food. So it was rather connected to the elemental part of just eking out an existence on the planet for thousands of years the way our agricultural ancestors did
1: and of course our friends down in the southern hemisphere <laughs> they are starting to lose the sun today <laughs> or did you know last uh, this past week when the solstice happened it was the the summer solstice beginning of summer in the southern hemisphere um we've got some callers coming in and i've got to talk a little bit here about um well i was going to say that the latest sunrise of the year is not on the solstice it's actually two weeks from now it's about january 7th we'll talk more about that some other time but just make a note of that it's very strange and um i was going to talk a little bit about the physics of light because solstice and you know christmas are supposed to be all about light and uh we're already running out of time but i'm just going to say real quick light is like wavicles it's waves and particles photons quanta but it also travels at the same speed no matter how fast you are traveling that's what relativity is all about and it's very strange you know usually things that you're passing cars they their their motion appears to be dependent on yours but light Is the same speed for all observers, no matter how fast they're going. So there you go.
0: Well, we had uh, plans to do something rather different today. We have some callers from friends and family in very far-flung places. And the next person is a very close relative of Joe Jordan's, who I'm curious to meet on the phone. Um, partly because I'm just, uh, I would be curious to see if there's anybody else on the planet like Joe Jordan at all, <laughs> or how you sprung, what kind of mold they broke to make you. <laughs> so we're very happy to have uh, John Jordan joining us from somewhere in Virginia, I yeah, guess. He's
1: my little brother, and a little bit later we'll hear from my or still sister. Mm-hmm.
0: The- Hi, John. Welcome to Planet Watch.
2: Ho, oh, oh, ho, hello from Virginia.
1: Where? Where are you now?
2: We're uh, near Manassas. we uh, oh. were on 66, and we pulled over somewhere where we thought we'd have a good signal,
1: so... Sounding loud and clear. Um. Manassas is about an hour from Washington, D.C. It's near where our grandma on my mother's side lived. She was in a little town called Midland that you could hardly... It's just a train stop, basically. They did have a general store, though. But anyway, well, I'm glad you made it that far, so you're only... Uh, He was hoping to be at my sister's place uh, in the suburb of Great Falls. It's a suburb of Washington, D.C. He'll he'll be there uh, in about an hour. But um, anyway, yeah, so uh, did you come up through the Shenandoah Valley and everything?
2: Yeah, we, uh, due to time constraints, we ended up on the interstate almost the entire okay okay well
1: okay we want to get to the cut to the chase here what is what's your answer to the question rachel came up with a good question for you and Anne, maybe even our friends in norway who are about to call in so rachel why don't you ask john that question of yours
0: well i thought uh, we would ask our callers if you could have one christmas present to give the earth uh if you could if it could be anything or any idea, uh, what would that be?
1: And you could afford to buy whatever you... Maybe it's not even something to. you buy. Yeah, maybe,
0: maybe just an idea it, it. or, or yeah. a brand new um, concept that, that would help things out. What would that be?
2: Well, that's a great question, Rachel. And my, my initial reaction was because, unfortunately, there is so much evil in the world. I was thinking of a gigantic, enormous lump of coal <laughs> <But> that,
1: <laughs> that Santa that would, would give. They,
2: they just burn it and end up putting that much more carbon dioxide <laughs> into the atmosphere. <laughs> so that's not a okay. Not a good
0: so idea. I would guess you're feeling a little Grinchy right about now about the state <laughs> of things. That that would be my guess by your answer. So uh, uh what,
2: absolutely. absolutely. Well, on
1: a more positive note, now in the two minutes we have left, anything else?
2: <laughs> well. You know, I would say something uh, like you know peace and joy and and i I really would wish for that, but on um, a more pragmatic way how how do you get to peace and joy and you start thinking about all these terms and catchphrases we throw around you know because we're discussing serious social issues such as equality, and um I like the idea of uh there's two things uh empathy. And wisdom. Mm. And I think if we have a healthy dose of both, we can get to solutions that bring about peace and joy. And, um, that's great. I think there's a complete lack of empathy, uh, with, and in, for many people who are unfortunately in a position of making, setting policy and making decisions that affect the lives of millions of people.
1: Hmm. Have to just tell everybody a little bit about John. He, uh, he is the uh, practical one of us siblings, the one who can fix anything, just like our father did. Mark father yeah, was a mechanical like genius. <laughs> yeah, well, as I tell people, when we were kids, John was downstairs in the basement with my dad fixing things while I was outside breaking them. <laughs> but anyway, what a
0: partnership! You gave him more to do. <laughs>
1: and he's been uh, working on energy efficiency in the schools in the uh, Montgomery County, uh, where Blacksburg, Virginia, is home of Virginia Tech. And he's also taught community college uh, electricity and energy and all. kinds. Kinds of things, uh, air conditioning and heating and ventilating, for years. And uh, anyway, great to hear from you, John. And hi to Donna there with you, uh, uh, his wife. Hi. (laughs) And uh, I I think Anne's probably listening. Our sister now. Oh, by the way, I got to say that Anne's and John's and my grandmother lived for many years in a little town to the west of Stanton, along Great U.S. 250, a wonderful road that winds way out into the wilds of West Virginia. And Rachel here, my co-host, used to live there. And we've still got to a, we still gotta her We gotta get the newfangled Google Maps and finger exactly the house. I've I've gone and looked for it. I couldn't definitively find it, but we're we're gonna get to the bottom of this mystery. It was
0: <laughs> up a mile dirt road, so you probably couldn't find it. Um, but yeah. Uh, well, Merry Christmas to you both, and thank you for calling in. Looks
1: like Ann's calling now. Yeah,
0: it's nice to hear from you.
1: Thanks, John.
2: Yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Have, you,
1: and, uh, have peace fun. On Earth. Have fun this evening up at Ann's. All
0: right. We'll do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. This is Planet Watch, if you just joined us. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman, along with Joe Jordan, and we're hearing from far-flung friends from near and far, and I do believe that Joe's sister's on the line just a moment. We'll catch her as soon as we get the line put through. We also have, in just a little while, um, a song I wrote about West Virginia, speaking mm. of West Virginia. But let's uh, put Anne yeah, on Yeah, it's line.
1: not the one that uh, John Denver made famous, but uh, while we're waiting for Anne, let me...
0: She's be- here right oh, now. Okay, she's yeah, here. All right. Hey, Anne. <laughs> Get her on there. I just need to click the right button. Hello,
1: Anne, from uh, <laughs> Great Falls, Virginia, which is just up the Potomac River, maybe, what, seven or ten miles or something from Washington, D.C., mm-hmm wow she's probably we're having a little bit of fussing around with buttons I was here until
0: the on-air line are you there with us now i am i am nice to meet you yeah. hi merry christmas to you guys <laughs> you too
1: yeah and you and you as well and all of our relatives there john's headed your way and you're going to have a a little to-do <laughs> tomorrow christmas day the up at, up the country we call it at the farm our mom was one of nine farm kids uh, in that little town of midland and uh out in the country, and they would always have a big to-do. In fact, they'll be having a big to-do tomorrow, which is a huge feast with lots of country home cooking, and that's my one thing that I'm bummed out well, one of several things I'm bummed out about yeah, not I was being back Yeah,
3: really, Joe? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Ann's daughter, Leah, uh, made all kinds of food, and uh, and nobody's there to eat it yet. That's
3: right. And I'm not going right. to be there,
1: but John at least is on his way. He's only an hour away, as you may have right. just heard. <laughs> so and he we're going to
3: be leaving here shortly to head over there as
1: well. Oh, to Leah's place. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so tell us, uh, tell us, Ann, what's on your mind? What are your hopes and dreams for the world uh, at this juncture?
3: Well, I you know now that i understand the criteria a little bit better um as far you know it's something that doesn't necessarily have to be bought but initially i was thinking well if i was going to buy something for the entire world it would certainly be enough food for everybody's belly so no one's hungry and perhaps a a new uh power grid but um you know moving towards more hopes and wishes and dreams it would certainly be um, loving kindness in everyone's heart
1: yeah it's kind of like what John was saying empathy and wisdom I And mean, we, we kind of need to grow up still as a human yeah. race, you know? I mean, there's technology, yeah. you know, there's transparent aluminum and all that stuff from Star Trek, but getting along with each other, learning how to get along with each other, that's so important.
3: Finding that connection. I have to
1: say, I have to compliment both John and Anne. Our Both of our parents have gone on to the spirit world, uh, one long ago, one recently. But I, I uh, love you both. I consider myself one of the luckiest people on Earth to have grown up. <laughs> With you, two, with you too,
3: with well, you too. Well, we love you too. We yeah. love you very much, and wish you were here.
1: Yeah. Well. Uh- I'll probably come in April. I did that last year. Uh, it was the first year in my life that I was not in Virginia for Christmas time, and same. So this is the second year. But I like to go back there when the, all the colorful blossoms are coming out, and the leaves yeah. are just coming out, and it's still kind of cool. You know, I had not gotten up too hot yet.
3: Yeah, that is one good thing about this area in terms of you know seasonal changes. Just when you are starting to get bored with one season, another one comes. along. Yeah, yeah, we don't get at so at least much. Uh, <laughs> for the most part still. <laughs> and, the,
1: and you all have a plant out there in the spring, which we don't have here. It's the Forsythia, forsythia bush, mm-hmm. and which the I learned. Oh, yeah, the red bush. Which that. I learned, by the way, from Steve Gleesman, who's an agroecologist at the university here. Forsythias are actually related to olives, <laughs> interestingly. Oh, wow. They're yellow, they're bright gold in the early spring. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we've got to kind of. Move on, I think. Well, pretty okay. soon. Okay.
0: Well, well, actually, our
1: Norway callers may not be calling in. If, we if, have
0: plenty of. We got else other too. stuff. We, We're we going to we play a song, a, <laughs> yeah, a, a song of Rachel's. <laughs> yeah, Rachel has a song.
1: So tune in for this song that Rachel, she's going to tell you about. It's it, we heard it. I heard it for the first time last night. She played it in town, and it was just a tearjerker. So oh uh, wow, I it, look forward to that. Yeah. Okay.
0: Thank you for calling, Ann. It was nice to meet you and have a merry. Oh, Christmas. it was great to meet you too. And, thank
1: you, uh, Ann. Love to all and Merry Christmas <laughs> and. Uh, okay. Okay. Keep on trucking. <laughs> yep. Keep on trucking. That's okay. all
3: you can do. That's right. All right. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye.
0: And um, so yeah. West Virginia is among many places where this show can sometimes be heard, as well as Carborough area, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So for those of you listening in the Southeast, um, the song was written um, based on a fiddle tune called Elk River Blues. And... It was just a fiddle tune for a long, long time that a fellow named Ernie Carpenter, who was a fifth generation fiddler in West Virginia. And in fact, his great, 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 great grandfather was the first, uh, one of the first white settlers to come into West Virginia. And he wrote this, uh, Ernie Carpenter told me the story about the fiddle tune was written um, when his home was flooded by an Army Corps of Engineers hydroelectric dam. And it hadn't been written out with lyrics, it was just a tune. So I decided the story, the true story needed to be told. So I wrote this song, to go with the tune called Elk River Blues and we're going to hear that
1: And he right was now. forced out of his home there of many years uh, by eminent domain from the government, I guess, yep. right? And yep. flooded out. And, uh,
0: and I never really got over it but this tune was mm-hmm. kind of his way of saying what, how he felt about it.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to go uh, check out where that river is or so it's it was. it's called the Sutton Dam. <laughs> and our Norway callers, I think you're on the line, but hang on, you're about to hear four minutes of beautiful music written by Rachel, so uh
0: <laughs> you could call back in four minutes. Yeah,
1: or you could call back too.
0: Alright, here Here's okay. Elk River Blues.
1: Thanks.
4: drown. My great-grandfather first came into this land with a bow
1: Wow, what a beautiful and moving song. Uh, The uh, lyrics written by Rachel Goodman, sitting right here in the studio. Um, So we have on the line Trond Andersen from Norway, from Lillehammer. Now that is a name that many people will recognize. You know what happened in Lillehammer in uh, winter of 1994? It was the Winter Olympics. <laughs> and uh, I uh, got to see the site of that, some of which Trond had a hand in designing. Some of the ski runs and uh, bobsled and luge runs. Uh, Trond is a very practical sort of guy, but I met him and his wonderful wife, Greta, and their two little kids. <laughs> two at that time, <laughs> Marta and Fredrik. Uh, when I was in Norway in the winter of 1989 and 1990, studying the ozone layer with NASA and we were doing flights over the North Pole out of a town called Stavanger, which is a cold, cloudy, rainy all the time in the winter, southwest Norway town, where I met a friend, uh, Astrid, of uh, who then sent me on a train off to visit uh, Trond and Greta. And um, anyway, Trond, um, welcome, and he's uh, half an hour from the verge of Christmas, which is sweeping towards northern Europe right now. Are you on the line, Trond? Yes,
5: I'm on the line, and... Um, uh I say Go Yule from the land to uh, you and your listeners.
1: Yeah, gold. It's spelled. I have also. It's spelled gold. Yeah? Gold Yule. G O D for good and J U L for Yule, like Yule tide, Christmas. <laughs> so, God Yule. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Toronto. Yes. And what were you going to say? Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs>
5: yeah, I uh, I have also. Oh, uh, fiancé of my youngest daughter, oh, Maren. Oh, Mar. also. No, no, his fiance Her fiancé, Amen. Oh, yeah, Amen. Amen. He he may say some words later, uh, but I come back to that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Trond, Rachel and I were just talking while that song played that you wrote such a beautiful thing about how you all celebrate Christmas in Norway. You should just go ahead and read your latest version of it, you know? And we'll interrupt you if we need to, but go ahead and tell us. uh, Just go ahead and... Are you ready to do that? Can you do that? Yes. Okay, Uh,
5: well, I, I don't think the uh, Christmas uh, celebration it's so, so different from uh, the U.S. way of doing it. But um, in the Christmas Eve morning, the children all different ages uh, look in their stockings in case of Santa Claus has been there with some goodies. And uh, in our house, we have soup and sylte and lefse for lunch. The beer soup is not common in Norway, but it is a tradition from Greta's family, my wife's family. Uh, we want two parts of beer with one part of water, and then add a mix of cream and flour, taste it with some sugar. It's a special taste, uh, so I don't think no one like it the first time, but uh, we like it. <laughs> and sulte is maybe also called head cheese, uh, uh, it is pressed meat from pork and we roll it in a lefse, kind of soft flatbread, uh, and use mustard and vinegar with it, so that is the uh, first part of the day, even if less people in Norway go to, go to service at church nowadays, uh, there almost Christianity is no, in Norway is uh, decreasing, I think. But the churches are usually filled up in the afternoon service at Christmas Eve, and that is fine. I also, I'm also a board of uh, uh, mountain church uh, close to Lilamid, and uh, it was full house there uh, this evening or afternoon. The Christmas Eve uh, dinner is important for most people and the traditions may differ so I can't uh, tell all about it but uh, ribs and sausages with potatoes and sauerkraut is maybe the most common dish. Cod is common on the South West coast uh, and lutefisk is also popular. That is dried or salted fish normally cod, and lye. It uh, has a kind of a jelly uh, consistency, <laughs> but uh, we like it very much. So we use it uh, several times, both before and during Christmas. And we do it a simple way, just uh, have 10 minutes in boiled water, not boiling. Uh, then roll it in leps with salt and pepper. Other places they use more uh, ingredients like potatoes, bacon, pea stew, etc. But tonight we have uh, had uh, pinnekjøtt for most of us. Uh, that is stock meat or lamb or butt- mutton together with potatoes and called stew. Maybe uh, it is also called rutabaga. I don't know. But uh, two of us uh, is reg- vegetarian. and uh, That is uh, maan and almond. And Amen will tell a uh, little about
1: that now. Okay, welcome, Amen And, uh, yeah, I'm especially looking forward to the dessert part, like one or two paragraphs down. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me. Um, well, yeah, Trondheim uh, mentioned the lutefisk. I'm, I grew up in lutefisk uh, country, so I'm used to... Well, uh well, the version he described the more Spartan one with just the uh, left and uh, butter and salt. But um uh, me and uh Mang, that's uh, uh youngest daughter, we're uh vegetarian, so uh, we make uh, it's called um nut uh, nut roast, it's uh, beca- it's become the most um uh, uh, Traditional uh, vegetarian meal in Christmas time for uh, Norwegian vegetarians, as far as I as far as I know. So, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, but we do we do it with uh, the same sides as uh, the others in the house, though. So we do the cauliflower uh, stew and uh, uh, same uh, sauces and stuff like that. And do you uh, do you drink
1: uh, akvavit? That was something that uh, Trond wrote about here. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh,
0: what does it taste like? Um, uh,
6: it's uh, it's a strong uh, liquor with uh, uh, caraway seeds.
0: Oh, sort of forty so, percent alcohol, I heard. <laughs> so be careful yeah. with that one. You wouldn't want to take too and, much of it. And
6: it's. Uh, I think uh, that might be sort of an acquired taste. I don't think many people uh, really like it on the, their first try, but... Uh, yeah.
1: Hey, well, now we well. Gotta, now we got to get to the good parts. Uh, yeah, tell when, us about when,
0: dessert. When we're we ready? were
1: visiting, uh, <laughs> there's a lake that Tron's family has a cabin on and hills covered with bushes, and we climbed up to the tops of those and picked cloudberries. I'm trying to find oh, yeah. out the name in English or American or whatever. It's they sound delicious. But cloudberries, they're golden. And they ha, you have them with cream. And so you picked some yeah. this past
6: August, and I guess you had them. Today. And uh, the Norwegians, they get, uh, we get really protective uh, of the uh, cloudberry territories. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so when you find a good spot, you don't tell anybody about it because uh, you oh, want the berries to yourself.
1: Kind of um, like hunting mushrooms yes, around here. I was going to say well, our <laughs> yeah.
0: trail patches are quite <laughs> yeah. protected in the same way. Um, th- we only have a minute or so, but I wanted to ask you: um, yeah. uh, What was the length of the day today? What was th- how much daylight did you see, if any, there in Norway?
6: Oh,
1: um, uh, I think it's about six or seven hours, right?
6: uh maybe even shorter mm-hmm. um Depends of on. course uh, Lillehammer gets uh, quite a bit of daylight though mm-hmm. um Trum might uh, He's uh, good with uh, the uh, keeping track of uh, well, weather. Well, um,
1: and, uh, and also, just to push it along here, because we got to sign off shortly, but uh, Trond was saying that you are getting less snow nowadays than he remembers from when he was a boy. And of course, that relates to a major theme of our show here, the, the climate yeah. havoc that is happening on the world. And I remember that back east in Virginia, too. When I was a kid, we had sled runs all over the place. We had lots of snow and hard- hardly ever get any snow anymore. But Trond was commenting on that. And also. So he told me this yeah. morning that you aren't seeing any northern lights. Of course, that doesn't have anything to do with climate. It's just a matter of, the, but you call them the Nordlys, L-Y-S, L-Y-S Nordlys. Yes. Have you seen any for uh, uh, this season yet?
6: Um, uh, Just very weak ones this year, but uh, actually last year, just north of Oslo, I saw the most spectacular display that I ever saw in my oh, life. Yeah, great. And uh, I grew up uh, farther north. so oh, okay, uh, okay yeah yeah and yeah. also this reminds me um, no, on uh, on that note i'm also i'm from a mountain village where it, it's the ski slope yeah, yeah. that opens first every season, and uh, we absolutely see the okay. less snow
1: and today today um, Tron told me he saw a very special super colorful cloud called that we call polar stratospheric clouds or mother of pearl clouds anyway i have to we have to cut it off now yeah. we're starting to run late, but thanks to you and Tron. Our love uh, to Uh-oh. your whole family and uh, keep in touch and god uh, jul and uh, let's see happy new year is how did it go Nyt uh, or uh, maybe he could say it for us yes yeah, say, say happy new year for us how do you say that in Norwegian god or
5: god and got to you too
0: thank you for <laughs> yeah, being thank you. here Bye-bye. both of you bye bye all right a little. Sign in from Norway. And now uh, we're going back to the South for a short reading.
1: Rachel's going to read her.
0: One of my favorite um, singers, actually, uh, Jean Ritchie. She came from a family of 13 children, the Ritchie Bakers. They were ballad singers, um, and they practiced the old way of celebrating Christmas in the mountains of Eastern Kentucky where they lived around Viper (laughs) in Hazard County, which was supposedly the most uh, dangerous place they joked about. It really wasn't. But they lived the pioneer style. They celebrated a very old style of Christmas. So I'm gonna read a short bit about how they did that and maybe reflect on just how far from the intensely commercialized Christmas this style of celebrating was. And it was within the lifetime of someone who was living just a few years ago. So this was only maybe, you know, 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. I guess Christmas is without the best, without doubt the best time in the whole year all around the world. And I should say, this is from Jean Ritchie's book, Singing Family of the Cumberlands, which um, is out on Oak Press. It's, you might be able to find it still. I guess Christmas is without a doubt the best time in the whole year all around the world for all folks who celebrate it. In our family in Kentucky, it must be better than any place else. I suppose every child must feel that way about his own home place and his family and their Christmases together. I can remember looking forward all year round to the happy time in December when all the scattered ones of us would gather in around our fireplace and sparkling tree. Just thinking about it would fairly send me out of my mind with joy and excitement. One Christmas is plainer to me than any other. I don't know why it should be, but maybe because it was the year I was eight, and the others were going to take me caroling with them for the first time. On Christmas Eve, we all sat late around the fire in the girls' room. Mom sat with us, and Alma and Sally, our cousins from across the branch, May was spending Christmas with us for the first time since she married, I guess, with her husband Leon and their girl Carol, a little older than me. Then there was Ernestine, Ollie's oldest, and Ollie had let her stay the night. And our family, besides me, there were May, Mally, Raymond, Kitty, Truman, Patty, Edna, (laughs) Jewel, Pauline, and Wilmer. We were all laughing and singing and carrying on. Dad came in off the back porch where he had gone to look at the sky and tell the weather for us. He stomped hard as he opened the door. And by the way he looked, and the way the door shot open on a gust of air, we knew there was something special on the outside. Snow. Snow for Christmas, yes, sir. Big dab size of half your hand, just right for laying on, too. It'll sure be a white time around here tomorrow. He got all this out between stomps, and we hollered and almost ran over him, getting out to see the snow. Some years, Christmas was a warm time with the hills bare and the ground muddy and the air sticky and damp. It was a good thing when the snow fell and made everything silver-white. You could get the Christmas spirit wonderfully then. We admired the falling snow, catching the dabs, and holding our faces up to the cool, pure whiteness of it and dancing about for joy. Then we ran back inside, shivering and laughing and fighting for places around the fire. About ten o'clock, Dad yawned and stretched and looked at the big wall clock and wound his watch. "'Half hour past bedtime, children!' "'Better get to sleep so Christmas could come in.' "'We're going to stay up and watch it tonight, Dad. "'Going to sit up all night "'until it's time to go caroling,' said Edna. "'Dad was dumbstruck. "'Well, you can all be crazy if you want to, "'but I aim to go to bed. "'Come on, Mom, leave the young'uns to their foolishmen.' "'Mom picked up a lamp, "'and they went off through the little clothes closet "'that Dad had fixed so that it connected the two bedrooms, "'and we settled ourselves in for a long night.' May could remember the farthest back. The tree, doesn't it shine this year? I think it's about the prettiest one I ever saw. The first one, though, that was a mighty good one to see, too. The first one? You mean you can remember the first Christmas tree? Around here, yes. When I was a very little girl, nobody in the country round really celebrated Christmas. Not what you call celebrate, you know. It was more of a religious time back then, and it fell on the 6th of January. Old Christmas, we call it now. And then we didn't make a great to-do or give one another presents even. Maybe it was because folks around here were too poor to give fancy presents then. I don't know. Oh, the least ones would hang up their little stockings and get an apple maybe and some peppermints. And they were tickled to death with that. On old Christmas Eve, we'd sit before the fire and mom and dad and granny would tell us about the baby Jesus born in a stable. And they'd say that if we go out at midnight, we'd see the old elderberry bush blooming in the fence corner right there in the snow. And that if we peeped in through a chink in our stable and made no racket at all, we'd see the cow and the old mule kneeling down, praying in honor of the little king of kings. Then maybe granny would sing us her Christmas carol, brightest and best. I reckon the new Christmas and the ideas of presents and the tree Mom read about in a paper book of some kind. She used to keep the post office over on Clear Creek, and she got to read all the papers that came in through for folks. Anyway, the stories of how Christmas was celebrated off from here got to Mom, and she decided one year to make a Christmas tree for us. Dad and the others, Uncle Wash and Uncle Isaac and them, they thought it was all foolery and wouldn't be of much help about it, But on the day before Christmas, Mom called me to come, her eyes just a-shinin' and a-secret-like. Put on your coat. I want to help you do something. I got my coat on and ran out with her. I could tell by her way that it was something nice. What is it now, Ma? Where are we going? She kept smiling quick little excited smiles, and she said, I want us to go out and hunt us up a Christmas tree. Gee, oh, I coulda tucked wings and flew as they say I was so tickled. "'We got us a hatchet and lit out "'for the biggest, worst snowstorm you ever saw. "'We had to fight our way through deep snow "'already on the ground, across the branch, "'and up the steep bank on the road. "'The nearest evergreens were pretty far up the hill, "'and it was hard going, slick ice in under the soft snow, "'and to cap it all off, it began to snow even harder, "'the wind slapping it right into our faces. "'You couldn't see your hand before us, "'and the wind was blowing so hard we couldn't stand.' Mom grabbed my hand. We have to go back, she hollered above the storm noise. Well, I began to cry. I knew if we went back, it would be too bad to come out again after this storm and Christmas would pass with no tree. Come on, I said, she sounded mad. And then she said, I see us a tree we can get to. Don't have to be no pine now, does it? Down by the branch across from our house, we're growing some little sycamore saplings and mom took the hatchet and cut down one of them. It didn't have any leaves, but the little woolly winter tags were hanging right pretty all through the limbs of it. We took that tree home and propped it up in the front room, and that night, after supper, we decorated it. Let's see, we cut out colored paper of old catalogs and tied them here and there with little bright wool threads, and we strung popcorn and hung it around. And the next morning when we got up, there were big apples, saved for winter in the cellar hall, hanging from the branches. Under the tree was a big plate of molasses candy Mom had made. And as I look back on it now, it was kind of a queer Christmas tree, but to us, it was the prettiest thing we had ever laid eyes on.
1: (laughs) Wonderful reading, Rachel, and a wonderful passage from a book. Uh, Maybe sometime on later shows, you can play some of her music for us, eh? (laughs) <laughs>
0: yes, we'll do that. We we probably will not have time today, but we'll play some of her carols that she used to sing.
1: Yeah, thank you for doing that. Uh, there are two more items on my agenda, and then any time we have left over, we've got some loose ends we can do, including maybe our guest in the studio here could even say a few words. But uh, two things we got to do. Um, In 1968, before probably at least half of the people listening to this were even born, when I was a teenager, one of the most momentous events in the history of humankind happened. And it was a a wonderful moment because the United States, America, had gone through a terrible year that year. 1968 was the year when both MLK and RFK were assassinated. You know, major good world leaders... So, this thing coming on Christmas Eve of 1968... It was the first time humans ever loosed the the bonds of the Earth and went out to the Moon. I'm not talking about the Moon landing. That happened in July of a year later, 1969. But on Christmas Eve, these astronauts uh, of Apollo 8 had been orbiting the Moon like 10 times. And before they last dived behind the Moon... Out of radio contact, a very suspenseful moment ensuing because if we did not hear their voices back on the bright right-hand crescent side of the moon at exactly the right second, we would know something had gone wrong. And they probably would never come back home for the holidays. (laughs) But anyway, so as they were going in behind the moon, uh, they read uh, the Genesis story from the Bible, a little bit of it. And I have a a clip that Jason... uh, has uh, queued up for us here. We're gonna cut out some of the middle part, uh, just get the beginning of it and the end of it. It was very touching. And then and then just at the end of it, uh, something that is greatly moving to me. A, because it's the first time I've heard it for 50 years, most of my life. And B, because they, they talk about it. good night to all of you there on the good earth. And they did not know, nobody knew at that time, whether they would ever come back to the good earth. So here, here is that clip from 1968, Christmas Eve. It's now approaching uh, lunar sunrise, and uh,
2: for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the Earth, and the Earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light.
1: And now Jason's going to slide over to the... Good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God
6: bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. There
1: you go. Thanks, Jason. Excellently done. (laughs) And what an amazing moment in human history you know and it was kind of a big surprise we'd had a lot of failures in the space program and we were behind you know the russians at every stage and suddenly that year just a couple months before this was happening we all said hey what we're going to the moon <laughs> in, in december what okay <laughs> well anyway so the other thing i want to do now well, is before um, we move on oh, to yeah. that
0: moment i just wanted to say that um the the ability to see the earth from space was a huge kind of a culture shock, I think, for the humans on our planet. Um, Because then we could see how vulnerable we are, this little spaceship floating out in the vacuum of heartless, airless space. And this teeny little thin membrane of atmosphere is all that protects us from the great void, from nothingness and from all non-life. So the environmental movement was said to have really been born at the moment they took those pictures from space of the yeah. Earth, then the whole image of that became a symbol for how we are all one planet. There's no borders. You can't see the Great Wall of China. You can't yeah. couldn't see the Berlin Wall.
1: One and, of the astronauts put it, uh, no frames, no boundaries. No
0: borders, yeah. And that's my wish for this planet is that we stop seeing ourselves as a bunch of countries separate from one another and a bunch of people separate from one another and we start seeing ourselves as one among many species on earth, not just mm-hmm. the dominant species, but one among many so that we can save all of us together.
1: And we were among the lucky ones who were alive when that those first images of uh, the blue marble floating in space became available. <laughs> so, Jason, um, we're going to run... Uh, A clip, the tail end of the grand finale of the grand finale of one of what I consider the greatest pieces of music ever written. And you don't have to be into religion to appreciate this. I find it deeply moving. So this is the Amen Chorus of Handel's Messiah. And I'm going to tell a little story in the middle of it. (laughs) Jason's going to pot it down. I'll signal to Jason. Jason, can you see me there? Go ahead and ramp up the volume a little bit there. Oh, maybe it's already...
0: I can't hear you guys if you're trying to talk to me. Or talk to us.
1: I can't hear you. over this for just a couple minutes i have a crazy story that relates to this one time on a beautiful severe clear spectacular brilliant winter day about this time of year maybe a week before christmas i was out driving around with my dear friend and partner mary uh, on the north coast and we were hiking you know this one hike we call rapture in the pasture and then we were driving along an old lonely country road with hardly any other cars coming along And this music of Handel's Messiah and the Amen Chorus came on the air. And I just parked the car, threw open the doors, cranked up the volume, and got outside the car and looked up and it was for all the world there was like hundreds of birds on the wires the telephone wires above the car i looked up in the sky and it was like they all had their their beaks open it was like they were singing this magnificent amen chorus of the messiah so as you listen to the rest of it here as we move toward the closing of the hour just check that just imagine that seeing hundreds of birds bird choirs on the wires in the sky so go ahead and crank it back up Amen to end all amens. That's what I call infinite music. Anyway, yeah, so thanks, Jason, masterfully done. And uh, well, He was
0: conducting, you know.
1: Yeah, I was conducting the birds <laughs> there in case you were watching on the video.
0: And if you just joined us <laughs> or you uh, happen to wonder um, why we're playing this, this is Planet Watch. And it is uh, in California at this moment, Christmas Eve. And so we're doing a little departure from our normal interview scientist's Um kind of a routine to share hopes, wishes, and dreams for 2018 with you. Yeah, it's
1: about friends, family, and home all over the town, the world, and the universe. <laughs> and it's two minutes to Christmas right now in Norway, <laughs> where <laughs> our call-in guests are celebrating or maybe sleeping by now. <laughs>
0: so in 30 seconds, Joe, what would you buy the planet if you could get anything? It doesn't have to be a thing.
1: Okay, well... The two big gifts are a guaranteed minimum income for all people, where we don't have to worry about scraping and scrounging for a living, and some some way to pull massive amounts of carbon out of the atmosphere to save us from a lot of doom and gloom that we are facing if we don't do that. So okay, there you so go. So you
0: scientists out there get to work. <laughs> Thank you, Joe, and thanks for 50 thanks for great Rachel. shows. Of uh, 50, This is our
1: 50th show, yes. <laughs> We're going to have to have a anniversary party in mid-January sometime. Somewhere. We
0: survived.
1: <laughs> yeah. Somehow
0: to tell it another day. <laughs> so you have been listening to Planet Watch, big solutions to earth Size problem. Now heard, now heard in California, North Carolina, and Ohio hey to all of you listening in Ohio and North Carolina and possibly West Virginia we are now podcasting at planetwatchradio.com so go there you can subscribe we appreciate your listening in and welcome you to join us next week as we present a reflection on the best of Planet Watch and May 2018 be better for the planet than 2017 and may you and all the planet's beings have good health
1: and keep an eye on the sky (laughs)